Good morning, Asante Church. Uh, Samantha kind of set me up here. I guess I have to introduce myself as well. I can't just get straight into reading, but uh, I'm, I'm Joe Clark, and uh, we're going to be reading in Philippians. It's going to be Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by, spirit, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss, loss because of the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in in order to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that, de- that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from his death. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Joe. That was a long one. My hooked on phonics self couldn't read all that. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Hey, I'm Alex Dennis. Um, I have the pleasure of being the lead pastor and church planner here at Asante Church. And today we are continuing on in our sermon series, Joy in All Things. And today we are talking about how we can be found in Jesus. And so in order to catch us up, what we have to realize is that last week as Paul was kind of giving his travel plans and then he was extolling all of this encouragement and praise on Timothy and Epaphroditus, today he's kind of swinging into a new area. And he's kind of, kind of taking on a different tone. His tone today is much more harsh than where he has been previously in the book. He's been pretty easy on the Philippians, and I would say he's still being pretty easy on the Philippians. He's actually being really hard on another group of people. He said, today, Paul goes full sheepdog. He is protecting his flock. This church that he planted in Philippi, he is saying, look out for these people. And there's a reason that we need this scripture today. We need this reason because we still fall into the same traps that Paul is warning the church in Philippi against. And if we keep falling into the same traps that they were likely to fall into, then we will miss Jesus entirely. If we heed his warning, though, we can know that we are saved. We can know that we will be with God for an eternity, and we can rest easy in that. 
And not only that, but we can experience him more fully in this life, and especially in our suffering. So our big takeaway today, and this is something that is going to be built up into, and that we're going to kind of be dropped off at. Our big takeaway today is that our righteousness is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Church family, there is nothing that we can do to earn our righteousness. It is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So let's dive in. You guys ready? Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Take a swig so I can talk longer. All right. Verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. What does Paul say to rejoice in? Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in anything else. Don't rejoice in your current circumstances. Don't rejoice in that sweet new house you just moved into. Don't rejoice in that sweet new car that's on order. Don't rejoice in your relationships. Don't rejoice in anything else but Jesus. Why? Because every single one of those things are fleeting. They won't last. But the Lord, he's worthy to be rejoiced in. He is worthy to be found joy inside of because he is unchanging, because he is steady, because he is reliable, and because he is good. Paul says this is so important. This I have just told you. This is what I'm about to tell you. That I may have told you this before, but I don't mind telling you again because it is for your own good. Any of, our, any of my parents in the house, any of my grandparents in the house, you've done this to your kids before, uh, not just once. Like you, you do this probably six times a day. Did you hear me? Do you know what I said to you? Here's my go-to. Do you understand? Because you can hear me and not understand me. Do you understand? It's kind of all-encompassing. And I get a yes, and I'm, well, what did I say? I don't know. <laughs> that was way too deep for my girls. I don't know. Paul does the exact same thing to start this all off that we do as parents. And he says, it is for your own good. And so it's for our own good today. So let's buckle in. Our first point today, don't be fooled by false teachers. This is a, current, this is a very common theme in Paul's writing to the churches that he planted, the churches that he visited. Do not be fooled by false teachers. I'll say it as many times as I have to. Do not be fooled by false teachers. In verse 2, Paul says, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. And it's at this moment that Paul swings into a completely different gear. You see, he calls a certain group of people the dogs. So who are the dogs? Dogs are not as we would picture them today, okay? Dogs are not what valley girls are carrying around in their purses and going shopping with. They're not little chihuahuas that just with you all the time. Dogs certainly back then would not have slept in the same bed as humans unless those humans wanted to wake up dead, all right? They just... It wouldn't have happened. Dogs were violent. Dogs were dirty. Dogs were dangerous. Dogs operated in packs. They would always outnumber their prey. And this term, dogs, was originally meant for one group of people, and that was the Gentile people, those who were not Jewish, because they were unclean. They were dirty. Now, who does Paul say are the dogs? Well, it is a group that he is specifically targeting in the scripture this morning, and that is the Judaizers. And so when he says that you are the dogs, the dogs would have been the number one insult for the Judaizers to the Gentiles. And now Paul ironically flips the tables and he says, no, 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 no. You got it backwards. They're not the dogs. You're the dogs. 
Now in Arizona, we'd probably call them the coyotes or something, all right? I remember one time me and Jacob just got done uh, helping out at a church, and we were uh, pulling out of their parking lots in Sun City West. I just thought it was all concrete and golf courses over there. Apparently, uh, there's just this big, uh, terrible group of coyotes. They were running through the parking lot, and so I was trying to do my part, and so we started chasing them in my truck, and then they just hopped the fence, and they went down to these people's backyard, and I was like, Jacob, what are you going to do if that coyote comes back up with a chihuahua in his mouth? I don't remember his answer, and I don't know if there was one, but I know he didn't come back up with a chihuahua in his mouth. Think about that. That's a lot of the same strategy, same tactic as the Judaizers that they would have had. They would have snuck into these churches. They would have looked like a similar thing. Jesus, we'll, we'll see later, Jesus would say that they were wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. A dog gets into the backyard of another dog. Maybe that dog's like, hey, what are you doing here? Next thing you know, your lunch. Look out for the dogs. He also says evildoers. Who are the evildoers? Well, now, ironically, he's calling the Judaizers the evildoers. These are people that are law-based people. They live their lives based off of works-based righteousness. Surely, on the outside, these people would not have looked like evildoers, but Paul is not referring to their outside. Paul is referring to their inside, saying, on the inside, these people are evil, they are wicked, they are wanting to lead you astray. And then he calls them probably the worst thing he could have called them of all, and that is flesh mutilators. Now, Judaizers, circumcision was a badge of pride for these people because it was an extreme act of obedience. It was an extreme work that they could go through, that they could put themselves through to prove how serious they were in their relationship, in their devotion to God. So we talked a lot about the Judaizers. Let's kind of drill down on who these people are. These are people that slipped into the church with extra beliefs. You see, they were false teachers spreading a false gospel, and their teaching was that in order to truly be a Christian, you had to first be Jewish. Part of the Jewish law, the Levitical law, is that you had to be circumcised. And so once you were Jewish, once you were circumcised, then you add Jesus to the top of that. Then you add the work of Jesus on the cross, on top of the law, and then, now that you've mostly made your way to God, good job, God didn't have to work that hard to try to save you because you're a pretty darn good person. Now, now you put your faith in Jesus. And now you are really saved, but that is not the case whatsoever. See, Paul addresses what a Jew really is in Romans 2.29. He says, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter, and the letter is the law. His praise is not from man, but his praise is from God. So what we see in Paul's writing is that it's no longer about the bloodline anymore, that we are actually adopted into the family of God when we have repented of our sin and when we trust Jesus to save us. It's then, at that point, that we are transformed in the heart, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that we can do. This isn't like just following rules. And it is in this that we see something incredibly important, especially when it comes to the Judaizers and what they're trying to teach this church in Philippi. And that is that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Don't add to the gospel. 
because it is the gospel, it is the good news of Jesus, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead on the third day that saves us. Do not add anything to that. So, why is it that we need to look out for these Judaizers? Why is it that the church in Philippi, there's no Judaizers today, all right, we'll kind of touch base on what our Judaizers look like here in a little bit. Why did the church in Philippi need to look out for these people? Because they were leading people astray. They were pressuring people, they were cornering people to take this gospel that truly saved them once and for all and to add things on top of it. You have to work for your salvation. It's not enough that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That is a load of poop emojis, all right? (laughs) That's Greek. Follow that out. If we have to work for our salvation, then that now leads us to two different camps. And the first camp is anxiety. I am going to be anxious because if I have to work out my anxiety by things that I can do, if it's something that I can earn, uh, salvation, not anxiety. We work ourselves out and it leads to more anxiety. If I have to work for my salvation and I'm unsure of if I'm a good enough person to be saved, If I'm a good enough person to be put in right relationship with God, what is that going to do to my life? It is going to put me in so much anxiety and so much depression that I'm not even going to be able to function. And then there's another side. And the other side is self-righteousness. And that is the person that would say, actually, I am a good enough person. In fact, I'm really good. I, I washed that dude's car. I trimmed his hedges. I picked up mess in his yard. I'm, I'm a really good Christian. In fact, I think I'm so good that I, I've earned my own righteousness. I am good enough. And these things are absolutely not true. What Paul wants for his people is to not be lost in anxiety of, am I good enough to go to heaven? And not be fooling themselves enough to think that they're good enough to go to heaven. What Paul wants for his people is then to realize that the only ticket into heaven is through the cross. The only way to heaven is a relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. So now we ask ourselves, all right, church in Philippi, don't let the Judaizers, these bad guys, don't let them trick you, all right? That's pretty obvious. These people coming into the church, they're teaching different things. How, how are they able to get in? How are they able to build trust? I think it's the same, same way the false teachers get into the church today. That's that they wear camouflage, some really good camouflage. I'm not talking about like Walmart hunting aisle camouflage. I'm talking about like ghillie suits, face paint, uh, all kinds of stuff. They're breaking up their image to the background behind them, and they are just sneaking in. And they do so just the way that Jesus said they would, Matthew 7, 15 through 16. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, they're not. You see these Judaizers, they didn't come in with trumpets and flags saying, we're against Jesus and his work on the cross. They didn't come in as the bad guys, these evildoers in town. No, these guys came in playing the religious part. But the issue was, they had these masks, this facade, like, man, everything is good on the outside. But on the inside, their hearts did not match what their outward appearance was. And I think what we can take from this is that good people can be easily tricked by good people. So how do we make sure we're not tricked? 
Well, Jesus said to test their fruits. What are their fruits? See, in the power of the Holy Spirit, it comes to dwell within us. When we give our lives to Jesus, we have something called discernment. And so we discern the teachers. We discern the people that work their way into the church. And so we examine their lives. Are they lives that are focused on Jesus? What is their character like? How about their hearts? What about their action? We test the fruit. Is it a sweet fruit or does it sting to the touch? Is it rough? I think good people can also be easily tricked by religious people. And it's crucial, it's critical that we take away today that Jesus did not come to set up a religion, but he came to make way for a relationship. And so when you look at someone who may be a false teacher, look at the relationship with Jesus. Religion says, I will do, 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 and it will be good on the outside. Religion is a topical solution to an inward issue, but transformation in Jesus and relationship in Jesus is something that takes place in the heart and works itself from the inside to the outside. Are they just talk? Are they just blowing smoke? Are they just running their mouths? Are they just doing things at the right moment to try to trick me? Who are they behind closed doors? Do they have a relationship with Jesus? So now we have to tend to the fact that we too can be Judaizers. We too can add to the gospel. And we are a beautiful mosaic of a congregation that comes from all different backgrounds, all different denominations. And I know the things that we can deal with coming from those different backgrounds. I know that if you come from a Catholic background, and you're entering into this body of believers known as the Bride of Christ, as the local congregation, the local church, and we come together, then we're, we're bringing denominational baggage with us. And I know that if you have a Catholic background, Catholicism says that it's works-based righteousness, that you have to earn your way by doing X, Y, Z. That's the same thing that the Judaizers were saying. Let's take the work of Jesus and let's add to it with the law. Now, I know we also have some really fun people in here coming from Assembly of God Pentecostal backgrounds. And in these congregations, these denominations, there's this idea that salvation is in Jesus plus the ability to speak in tongues. And that's not true either. Salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, the ability to speak in tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that everybody gets it. Everybody gets the gift of interpreting tongues. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And then there's the rest of us. And we're the worst of them all. Because we say it's not just about Jesus, but it's Jesus plus being a conservative. It's Jesus plus maybe being a liberal. It's Jesus plus who you vote for. And so we take our king and we say, that's not enough. Jesus alone is not enough in, you, in, in your life. No, if you want to be a good Christian, if you want to be saved, then you have to vote for the same party I do. You have to watch the same news channel I do because everybody else tells lies on the other one. And the person that's watching the other one is saying the very same thing about the other one. It's Jesus. It's Jesus alone. Second point today, it's not about what you can do. I'll say that again because we love America and it's all about what we can do, right? It is not about what you can do. Verse 3, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, I don't think you probably woke up this morning, you got ready for church and said, you know what, I bet I'm going to walk into church today 
And they're going to tell me I'm the circumcision. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yep, and it's unfortunate, but we're talking about it. So what does it mean to be the circumcision? A little awkward, huh? Where's my cricket friend over here? He's not chirping right now. It means that we belong to Jesus. And it's not because of anything that we have done to our physical bodies, but it is because of what he has done to our hearts. Again, Romans 2.28. It's because we have put our faith in him. And because we have put our faith in him, now we worship by the Spirit of God. Now we worship by glory in Christ Jesus. And because we are a part of the circumcision, because we worship in these things, we put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, you think you're bad to the bone? I'm the baddest of them all. You think you got works? I've got all the works. You think you're good? I am better. And so, if you're a thinker, you're thinking, why is Paul in such opposition to these guys? Is it because they actually have more works than him? Is he feeling a little insecure? Is he a little jealous? No. Paul is not going after these guys because he doesn't have the credentials. What Paul is about to lay out is every credential he has that is above where they are currently standing on their foundation of being Judaizers, of being of the law, and of Jesus. And Paul says, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. Now this is Paul talking about himself. Circumcised on the eighth day, as it says in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. Basically what Paul is saying is, hey, on the eighth day of my life, before I could even make decisions for myself, people were making Jewish decisions for me. All right, go me, go Paul. Then he says, I am an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. This means that he had the right ethnicity and he knew his tribe. Basically, he got his 23andMe results back and they were perfect. There was no surprises. He knew exactly where he came from. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He descended from Jewish ancestors. And this also may mean that he could speak Aramaic, not something that was common at this time. A Pharisee, the most strict of the Jewish sect, all right? Think of like uh, the Jedi Knights of the Jewish people, all right? That was the Pharisees. They lived by the law to a T. They were very strict people. Verse 6, a zealous persecutor of the church. Now at first glance, think, okay, well, what? A zealous persecutor of the church. Let's rephrase this into a killer of these new followers of Jesus, these new Christian insurrectionists. Okay, what? Paul, in his zeal for the Lord, in his love for God, saw Christianity as a threat because it, Jesus, fulfilled the law. The old covenant is no longer uh, applicable to us. Now we live in the new covenant in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled it. And so Paul said, these guys are terrorists. I need to wipe them out because I love God so much. And then you think back to the book of Acts and you think of, goodness, Timothy. Nope, not Timothy. Oh, why did it just slip me? Nope. Stephen. Thank you, Mike. Goodness gracious. I almost said Epaphroditus and I knew that wasn't right. (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying names until it comes. All right, I'll stall for days. It's in my notes. It's right here. All right, stop laughing because this is serious. (laughs) When you look at Paul and you look at the stoning of Stephen, 
Paul was there. He was present. At that time, his name was Saul. That's what he went by. And as Stephen was giving a discourse on the majesty of God, people gathered around, and they started to pick up stones. And you know what Paul did? He took their coats. And as they picked up these stones, and they needed a better range of mobility so that they could better throw these stones at Stephen, Paul said, hey, you know what? Let me take that from you. You know what? Hey, I'll take your coat too. And in essence, what Paul is doing is he is co-signing on every single stone that was thrown at Stephen. So, a zealous persecutor of the church, yes, but with murderous zeal. Then he says, righteousness under the law, blameless. Nobody followed the law to a T like Paul did. If anybody was blameless, it was him. And again, he thought he was pleasing God in all of these things. The best bounty hunter of Christians of them all. Until on the road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus, and he realizes that his salvation is not based off of what he can do to win favor from God, but it is fully based off of the work of Jesus on the cross. And it flips Paul's life around so much that later Paul would say, I'm not blameless. I am the king of sinners. So we have to ask ourselves, have I based my standing with God off of what I have done? Have I built my whole life around trying to earn God's love? If that's you, stop. You can't. Jesus earned it for you. Have I been trying to build up my spiritual resume to be a good enough Christian to earn it? Stop. Man, it's not your resume. You had a connection, and that connection's resume was the best there's ever been, and that connection was Jesus. Guess what? Jesus got you the job. Jesus got you that new title. Congratulations. Have I been able to go to sleep at night knowing that I am secure in him? This is important. Remember, there's anxiety. That's one of the camps we could be in. And then there's self-righteousness. Say, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have repented of your sins, and you have made him Lord of your life, then you can rest easy. Third and final point. It's all about what Jesus did. It is all about what Jesus did. Verse 7, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything before Jesus is nothing compared to my life after Jesus. Paul is saying, take all these dubs, all these wins in my win column. Undefeated, baby, I am crushing it. And then move those over to losses. I'm not who I was. It doesn't matter. Paul once thought Jesus was his greatest loss. Now he is realizing that Jesus is his greatest win. And if you think about this, if you think people can build their entire lives based off of something that they thought was going to work, we can think, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps day in, day out. I am going to be a better person, and that is going to get me in good standing with God. My entire life. That can be devastating to say, everything that I've done up until this point has been for nothing. Now all of this is a loss? I mean, that's enough to cripple somebody. Unless, unless that person has found something better. And Paul found that something better. And that something better was the person and the work of Jesus. So here it is. Our big takeaway today. Our righteousness is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
verses 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowledge, uh, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, Joe, I told you, you need to read things for me. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 8, Paul is saying, I will lose everything just to gain Jesus. Jesus is worth far more than anything else, so take it all away. Take it all away just so that I can have Jesus. And then in verse 9, he is saying, I will lose everything just to be found in him. So what does it mean to be found in Jesus? It means that we are spiritually unified with Jesus. It means that we are found not guilty before God from the sin in our life. It means that we are found in relationship with him. And Paul says again, I can never be good enough for this, but I am found good enough in him, and so I put my faith in the one who makes me good enough, and that is in Jesus. And so a question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are we willing to lose in order to gain Jesus? I mean, we are pretty comfortable as Arizonians. We are pretty comfortable as Americans. If Paul said everything I built up in my life was for nothing, it was rubbish, it was trash, it was garbage, if only I could end up in Jesus, what are we willing to lose to gain Jesus? Is it our precious lifestyles that we've tried to build up for years? Is it these good things in our lives that we do to make ourselves try to feel righteous, try to earn God's favor and love? Is it the constant doing for God so that we can earn it? I say let's stop doing, let's, stop, let's start being in Jesus. You know, there is, a, there is a lost and found section uh, behind these pipes and drapes over here of water bottles that just collects every single year, okay? If your kids go to the school and they've lost their water bottles, stay after church. We'll help you find it, all right? <laughs> this thing is beautiful at the end of the year. I mean, you have all different sizes of water bottles. You can tell, like, that's a fifth grader's bottle. That's like three gallons. I don't know how anybody carries that. That's a little kindergartner's. It's just like a little Ozarka bottle. It's crazy. At the end of the year, they line up and they gather and they gather and they gather. All different looks, all different sizes, all different values. And at the end of the day, every single one of those water bottles are lost until they are reunited with their owners. And that's the same for us. We can gather together from different backgrounds, different places, different shapes, different sizes, different looks, different colors. But at the end of the day, if we are lost in Jesus, the only way to be found in him is to be reunited with him. We can be lost or we can be found. We can be in relationship with Jesus or we can be out of relationship with Jesus. And so my question to you is where can you be found? Remember, it's either lost or it's found. There's only two places. And being lost is trying to work towards earning 
your righteousness before Jesus, trying to be good enough for Jesus, which we can never do. But the other side is being found, and that is resting in the work of Jesus and knowing that that is enough. So do some heart searching right now. Where is it that you can be found? At one point in life, we're all water bottles along the steps of a stage until Jesus comes into our lives and says, you know what, that one's mine. You know what, that one's mine. Until he claims us. Verse 10, Paul closes out here. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what is the point? What is the point of all of this? It's to know Jesus. And based off of what Paul says right here, we can know Jesus in four different ways. And the first way is to know him in relationship. Remember, relationship is greater than religion. Relationship is knowing and being known. Relationship is intimacy. Religion is doing. Religion is trying to earn. Religion is striving to be good enough. So we need to stop doing, and we need to start knowing, and we need to start being known. This means that we need to be intimate with Jesus. We need to start spending time with Jesus. We need to get well acquainted with Jesus because our lives depend on it. J.I. Packer, a great theologian, once said, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own. That is the purpose of life, is to get to know God, to know Jesus, and to be found in him. And I would say this. I would say that there is one relationship in my life that I am fully, completely, and utterly, truly known. And in that relationship with my wife, I have to remain vulnerable. This means I have to stay open. I have to let my defenses down. It's right. I can't be a tough guy because she's going to see right through that. Putting my defenses up puts distance between us. That is not what we want. I have to stay open and exposed. Here are my failures. Here are my flaws. Here are my fears. Here are my insecurities. Here's what I'm dealing with. It's vulnerable. It's also time-consuming to fully know someone's heart and have their, your heart fully known by that person takes years of consistency, takes years of you being present with that person, paying attention to that person, studying that person, treating them like they are a son, like they're a daughter of the king, and giving them value and worth that says, I'm going to pay attention to you. It takes consistency. It's time-consuming. But you know what? It's worth it, and it's beautiful, and there's something that is so powerful and so grace-filled that when you lay yourself bare, everything that you are, everything that you've done, everything that you dream to be, all your fears, doubts, failures, and insecurities, all your shortcomings, and for the person across from you to say, I see that, and I love you anyways, that is powerful. That is relationship. That is intimacy. Be known intimately by Jesus. Know Jesus intimately. The second thing 
to know the power of his resurrection in our lives. And this is to experience the power of Jesus in our lives as he sits at the right hand of the Father on his throne. Our King Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day he rose from the grave and now he is present in our lives. Know the power of his resurrection as you live day to day. And then know his suffering. To follow Jesus means that suffering will happen. It's not maybe, it's not hopefully I can outrun it. It will happen to you. Why? Because you are a messenger, you are an ambassador of a king that the world and the kingdom that you are living in does not like. We live in a kingdom of darkness. They do not like our king, who's the king of the kingdom of light. You will be opposed if you act as a herald, if you act as a messenger. You will be opposed, and in that opposition, you will experience suffering. So live like Jesus and experience what Jesus experienced, and that was suffering. But in that suffering... Close with this. We are called to know him in his resurrection from death to life. If we can identify in our relationship with Jesus, in his suffering, we suffer like Jesus. And when we suffer like Jesus, and when we suffer for Jesus, we are found in him. And when we are found in him, then death cannot hold us because we are found in our king, and death could not hold our king. It couldn't stop him.